This episode is brought to you by Chapman University. From climate science to patient safety, genomics to drug design, Chapman University data scientists are turning massive information sets into life-changing impact. The future is unfolding in Chapman Schmidt College of Science and Technology. Here, masters and PhD students join in cutting-edge research as they prepare to take the next big leap in their professional journey. To learn more about the innovative tools and collaborative approach that distinguish the Chapman program in computational and data sciences, visit chapman.edu slash data science. That's chapman.edu slash data science. All right, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco. I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. So grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. So in the last episode, we spoke about concurrency and parallelism. We made a distinction between these two terms. They are different indeed for a machine, for algorithms. Uh, They're not so different for, you know, uh, plain English or (laughs) spoken languages because we humans have the tendency to interchange the uh, the two terms uh, and uh, use them kind of in a similar context, but parallel and concurrent is not the same thing. So feel free to download that episode and uh, get familiar with the fact that parallel and concurrency for a machine or for a CPU are not the same thing. What happens in machine learning? So what is the state of things when it comes to parallel processing more specifically to the machine learning world? Well, I would say that as a recap first, doesn't necessarily mean breaking down the problem into small pieces. It could also mean running multiple tasks on multiple resources, right? Remember the examples we we made about uh, having a multi-core CPU that of course will consume more energy, will have more power, uh, will have more CPU clocks that will be Uh, counted uh, for the same application, for the same task, just executed multiple times. And so we can complete four different tasks at the same time. Now, this is actually what happens many, many times in machine learning. And so there is this quite coarse granularity uh, when it comes to parallelism in machine learning. Many times we have seen parallelism, for example, at the model level. Many models are trained in parallel, usually with different parameters. Um, for which you would spin multiple machines if you are in a, uh, in a cluster or the same machine would be operating on multiple cores because all these jobs, all these models are trained independently from each other. And this means that, for example, you are probably discovering some uh, combination of hyperparameter, you're doing some kind of grid search or random search. This terminology should be quite familiar now. Uh, And so you are essentially running models in parallel, right? Um, Another way to parallelize in machine learning is definitely uh, about operating on chunks of data with the jobs that execute in parallel. And I must say that this is not always possible. Uh, It is possible many times, for example, when you are computing trends, when you are computing uh, summary statistics. But in all other cases uh, in which you need to train, for example, 
in a with a stochastic gradient descent and this is usually what happens for example when you are training on uh, um, you're training on very large data sets right uh, but this is not really parallel I would say uh, the parallel version of this would be when you are computing you know a la dask right uh, if you're familiar with the dask framework almost all the time that's what that framework does right it, it partitions or spark they partition the data and then they compute the same function uh, on uh, you know multiple times on this on different data um, uh, in different tasks so they parallelize that and this is possible when you're doing for example this kind of map reduced tasks right for which at some point after the the mapping and so after you have been um, let's say distributing your calculation in in a cluster or on a multi-core machine you reduce so you aggregate all these uh, single results into one more specifically to um, off-the-shelf machine learning let's think about random forest when uh, when we deal with random forest uh, in a you know parallelizing random forest um, well this algorithm for example it parallelizes over trees and, and so each tree is usually trained independently from each other in different threads uh, if you're familiar with random forest for scikit-learn you might have noticed a parameter and uh, jobs uh, that if you set as um, uh, negative one you are essentially forcing the framework to create as many jobs as number of cores on your on your cpu and so what happens there is that you are creating a pool of threads so if i have an eight core machine i will create a, I will create a pool of eight threads and uh, i will start um, parallelizing the computation over the let's say 100 200 500 trees over these eight different jobs right and so i will essentially train eight times faster on average uh, as if I was running uh, the random forest training on one single uh, one single core. XGBoost is is another model that parallelizes at the tree level, right? Uh, just so you know, XGBoost parallelizes within the single tree uh, in order to create branches independently. So it's a much finer grain than than uh, than random forest for sure, but still it's at the single tree. Uh, the, the type of parallelization. For the record, if you are familiar with XGBoost, you might have noticed a parameter that is n rounds. Uh, if you set it to one as an experiment, you are forcing the framework to train on just one tree. And what happens is that if you have enough data to see your CPU working for a while, uh, you will see that all the cores of your CPUs will be busy on just one tree, just calculating on one tree. So this is kind of the empirical proof that um, XGBoost is parallelizing within the same tree, just on the branches. So it's a much finer grain than random forest. The level of parallelization is uh, definitely higher because then you can essentially run multiple XGBoosts on different trees, one core per tree, and then you have another level of parallelization for it you know within the single tree and so you have two times the parallelization uh, these are usually called embarrassingly parallel applications when it comes to neural networks we have seen in a relatively old episode parallel stochastic gradient descent or how to parallelize stochastic gradient descent which is the core algorithm for neural networks uh, so there are some flavors of stochastic gradient descent that are run as independent tasks where each task 
performs, for example, a forward-backward uh, pass and compute the gradients independently. Now, these parameters are all sent from each task or from each thread or from each GPU, if you will, uh, to a central server or to a, a, a single thread that will aggregate these results, so aggregate all the gradients computed by all the threads, and usually this aggregation is an average, and then uh, update the parameter of the model uh, all at once. Uh, this is quite the same approach used by, for example, a logistic regression when you set jobs equal negative one, uh, forcing again the library to use all possible cores on your CPU. Uh, of course, depending on which solver you are using, it parallelizes or not. Otherwise, it runs everything on a single thread. So, to be honest with you, it's very hard to see in at least off-the-shelf machine learning um, the concept of concurrency in action. It's much, much easier to find the concept of parallelization or parallel computation in action rather than concurrent computation. To the best of my knowledge, um, it's quite rare to find a concurrent component on, uh, on off-the-shelf machine learning. But, for example, in the context of a bigger task, think about driving a car or performing a prediction and at the same time adapt to the environment, think about some kind of reinforcement learning or you know, the same architecture of a reinforcement learning algorithm that learns from the environment, selects a number of actions, and then applies one of these actions or the most probable action back to the environment, then measures the environment again and so on and so forth. So in these cases, it makes much more sense to think about concurrent programming and concurrent components. And so if you think about you know, driving a car, much simpler example, um, you don't want the algorithm to stop while it is calculating something. You would like you know, another thread to focus on, uh, you know, for example, to keep getting data from the sensors. You don't want to go blind because you're in the middle of a computation, right? Now, in these particular cases, of course, you might have uh, multiple machines doing that. But you see my concept, like in my example, I would like to make it clear that when it comes to bigger machine learning problems, it makes sense to think about the existence of concurrent components, not in the single model, but in this aggregation of models or components that indeed have to run altogether. And uh, this brings us you know, back to the example of having a UI and a backend or a library that is performing some backend computation and at the same time a UI that you keep updating with another thread and you want to give the user uh, the feeling that the two things are going together while they're actually not. You're just executing a bit of this and a bit of that kind of at the same time um, or one after the other and you keep progressing kind of together. Yeah, I say kind of because there is no guarantee on the time uh, constraint to execute both. Now, before I conclude this amazing topic, which is concurrency and parallelization, there are some problems in concurrency that you really, really have to look at. And uh, if Python and high-level languages are your bread and butter and you don't have kind of the chance to touch things at low level, you have, will have the tendency to forget about these problems, uh, the problems of concurrency, namely race conditions and data races. So these are probably the top two nasty problems which lead to kind of similar problems of leaving memory in inconsistent state, right? 
Uh, and so there is a, a classic example, a counter that is incremented multiple times by different threads. And of course, the counter is wrong uh, if you don't use a mutex, which is a guard that you put on uh, on a, p a piece of memory that you want to be accessed one thread at a time. Uh, well, then semantically, your problem, your uh, your code is doing something different. And uh, and that error is a logical error, in fact, that is going to be quite nasty to debug, especially in production. So to summarize, the race condition is, uh, in fact, a semantic error. It is a flaw that occurs uh, in the timing or in the ordering of events that leads to erroneous program behavior. It's true that many race conditions can be caused by the other, the brother problem, which is the data race problem, but not necessarily. While a data race is a quite clear error, uh, a data race occurs when essentially two instructions from different threads access the same memory location uh, and at least one of these accesses is a write and there is no synchronization that is uh, mandating any particular order among these accesses. So essentially one is changing the memory location, the value of a certain memory location and the other is trying to read and you will find of course inconsistencies at some point, right? So this is the type of problem that it's quite clear, um, it can be automated. In some languages, it can be detected at compile time. And one of these languages is uh, Rust that uh, uh, allows you to detect these problems as you compile, right? And so in, when you go to production, you are not supposed to have these problems ever. When you work with Python or higher level languages, you can still have uh, this type of inconsistent states. The, discussion that is pretty different, but there is a lot more control, but of course, a lot higher price to pay um, in terms of performance. And so think twice when you want to go with a Python or at a lower level, uh, especially in production. And when you go to a lower level, uh, think even more <laughs> because if you have to control the way your code is going to be parallelized or uh, concurrent access to resources, if you don't have any protection provided by the language you are uh, writing your application in, um, or by the compiler, in fact, uh, well, it's going to be a nasty way towards success. With this, I can conclude the episode on concurrency and parallelism. Uh, definitely not an exhaustive one. Uh, as I said, the topic is really, really rich in literature. I will do my best to report some of the most important references in the show notes of this episode on datascienceatom.com. For all the rest, of course, visit us on our official Discord channel where we can have a chat and, uh, and usually we also have some fun with some nerdy jokes. <laughs> so I'll see you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.